So are you an employee? Are you an independent contractor? Are you a W-2? Are you a 1099 worker? I hear that term all the time. We get it asked all the time. We get it asked from the employer and the employee or the contractor. And it's a confusing mess for a lot of folks. Today, I hope to straighten it up a little for you. Stick around. So if you ever wondered how fun it is around my household, let me just tell you. This past weekend, actually Thursday or Friday of last week, we had a guest staying in from out of town, a cousin of my wife's, and a riveting conversation took place over whether or not they have 1099s or W-2 employees. Now, this is sort of the cheesy part about being a CPA is that people think they can ask you the questions all the time. And, you know, because it's family, I don't mind answering. And, yes, I did give her the old, it depends. But, Rita, this one's for you. All right, so let's dive back, dive right in. Why on earth does it matter? And what's the big driver between being a 1099 or W-2? Well, come on, folks. Somewhere out there, you got to be thinking somebody's trying to save some money somewhere. And that's exactly what it is. You know, employers have to withhold a certain amount of Social Security, Medicare, unemployment taxes, etc. That's just the top level. Uh, the employee also gets to withhold some uh, Social Security and Medicare. But if you're a 1099 worker, guess what? The employer doesn't have to withhold those things for you. And if you are the recipient of that 1099 as an independent contractor, so to speak, as the term goes, well, you're responsible for both the self-employed, or sorry, both the employer and the employee taxes, which is what we call self-employed taxes. But depending on how many of your expenses you get to write off, that number could be a lot lower than it would have been in the traditional employee relationship. So cost is usually a driver. In some industries, there's more drivers than that. There's workers' comp insurance, which may or may not be involved. There's also um, benefits, payouts, not benefits, payouts so much, but benefits enrollment. Well, if you're just a contractor, so to speak, and for those of you listening, not watching, I'm using air quotes, so pretend like you can see that. Uh, if you are not a employee on the payroll, guess what? I don't have to offer you health insurance or 401k plans or any of that kind of stuff. So. There's a lot of sticky little uh, pieces of information on it. I'm going to try to zip through it as fast as I can. Just understand it's a very, very uh, in-depth topic. It's argued about a lot, and uh, a lot of people are right, and a lot of people aren't. So let's dive right in. My first rule of thumb for anything is that it's all about control. And people are like, yeah, 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 control, 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 control freak. Well, it's not so much that. It's really who is controlling the relationship. Is it this company that has hired a person or company to do a task uh, in more control that would look like, you know, it's the whole, does it uh, waddle like a duck and quack like a duck, then it's probably a duck? Uh, are they exerting that kind of influence over this uh, contractor, for lack of a better word, that it's really an employee? That's a big thing, big consideration that if you look at, you kind of analyze the situation and say, okay, that looks like it's control. That's usually one of the biggest key factors in analyzing it, and it's, it can be a very open and shut case from the get-go. 
Uh, I didn't outline it from the beginning, but we are just going to talk about the federal implication. Later on, I'll address a little bit about the state and local uh, determinations in this as well. The next element of control is financial control. Um, Who's paying for what? Okay. Uh, If a uh, person is uh, coming to a job and they're bringing their own tools or uh, in, in more of a uh, informational economy, are they providing their own laptop and their own software to accomplish a task? Uh, that may be a contractor relationship, maybe. Uh, if that financial control, like if the expenses, so to speak, are covered by that company that is doing the hiring, it's probably an employee-employer relationship. So that's another level of control that you've got to look at. Uh, obviously, we talked about the benefits at the top, if, if uh, the person uh, is eligible for benefits for all other intents and purposes, chances are they're an employee and not a contractor. And then another factor to consider in this element of control is the relationship. What does it look like? Uh, this is a, not a, your traditional define the relationship talk, by the way. Um, this particular DTR is related to uh, how long of a, um, of a project is this, okay? Are we talking about hey, uh, employee or contractor A, I need you from this period to this period to do this thing, have at it? Or is it, hey, come do some work for us, and whenever we're tired of you, we'll let you go? Mm, Probably an employer-employee relationship on that latter one, okay? So uh, I know that there are situations where contractors are in existence for years at a time, uh, and sometimes that's valid, sometimes it's not. Uh, You really have to look at every single one of them. Every relationship has a different twist, different angle to it, and all of them have to be weighed on their own merits. Next, let's look at some common areas of ambiguity. So I've already mentioned that some of the lines are already blurred and we've barely gotten into this. But let's look at some of the industries that have a prevalent contractor uh, relationship, things like construction. You see that a lot in the the trade industries. Uh, Real estate uh, agents a lot of times are kind of they're on their own free will about how much they want to list, how much they want to show, how much they want to do. Um, you see it a lot in transportation, truck driver from point A to point B. Uh, they can pick up a load, they don't have to pick up a load, whatever they want to do. They're their own business. They have other opportunities to sell to whomever they please, so they're not tied down to a single uh, point of contact, so to speak. Uh, there are obviously, as, as the gig economy, for lack of a better word, has taken off, there's a lot of newer stuff coming onto the scenes that have really blurred those lines even more. If you look at an Uber, a DoorDash, those kinds of uh, relationships have definitely challenged some of these uh, ideas about what is and what isn't uh, an independent contractor. Even those uh, career fields, let's say, that allow a lot of autonomy. Think about graphic designers. Think about accountants, actually. Uh, You know, we can kind of get from point A to point B in a lot of different routes, but at the end of the day, we're under the direct supervision of a particular employer and their direction that they're going. So just because something allows for autonomy does not mean that they're an independent contractor. So you really have to analyze the whole of the relationship. Another big trend, and this is the point of our discussion this past weekend, was these uh, professional employee organizations, or you hear them called PEOs. Uh, PEOs are uh, a challenge most of the time because they aren't in just one state, and I alluded to it earlier that 
Uh, every state uh, is going to kind of use the overarching framework of the federal government and then kind of have their own twists and turns to it. Uh, PEOs, uh, the way they work, if you don't know, a business may engage a PEO that can provide them a certain type of employee. So uh, you see PEOs in the IT industry quite a bit if you need a particular type of uh, a programmer. You see PEOs in dentistry. You see PEOs in medical fields. You see them all over. Uh, I see them. I know PEOs of uh, nurses uh, where they'll pro provide nurses in different locations and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it can create some uh, – the ambiguity there is really uh, the relationship to whom – and think about the PEO as its own organization. Think about the so let's let's talk about the case of the nurses. Uh, maybe a hospital uh, is um, the person seeking the service to be provided, and then you've got the nurse uh, who essentially is a employee of the PEO, and the PEO is selling that nurse's time. Okay, so it kind of travels this. Uh, path that there's, it's not directly point A to point B, it's A with an intermediary to point B, okay? Uh, who's that nurse an employee of? Is the nurse an employee of the PEO? Are they an employee of the hospital? Can you be contractor to two? I mean, it, it really is some ambiguous situations, and that's why you have to dig in, look under the cover, see what's going on. And obviously, we already hit uh, some of the already alternative work arrangements, but there are all kinds of things developing, you know, especially since COVID and a post-COVID era, we're seeing a lot of part-time employees, a lot of folks that are just doing this side hustle type work, apart from an Uber, apart from a DoorDash, that uh, just because they're part-time doesn't make them an independent contractor, okay? So, uh, but sometimes they are, and you really do have to look at what's the nature of the work being performed, and What's the nature of the control relationship between that person that's hiring for those services and the person performing those services? So I mentioned earlier that this framework, the skeleton of this framework, is pretty much structured from the federal government. Okay, they've got their ideas of what constitutes the difference between an employee and employer. But I also alluded to the fact that every state and locality is different. They're not all that different, but there's some differences and nuances that you've got to be aware of, especially if you're something like one of these PEOs that I discussed earlier, where you're uh, hiring and placing people in different locations in different states, especially you got to be aware of those laws. Those laws are vast and numerous and too much to get into in this uh, episode. But I will tell you that a lot of the states are adopting what is called the ABC test. Okay. And the ABC test uh, it starts with the presumption that that person is an employee until they're proven to be an independent contractor. So just like you're innocent until proven guilty, in this case, you're an employee until you're proven that you're not. Okay. Um, so the ABC test is pretty simple. Number one, the, uh, imp the person, so I don't hate to call them the employee, uh, the person of interest operates free from company control. Okay, remember I talked about control earlier? Here it is again. If they're free from company control, you're just performing a task to get to push something along from point A to point B. If that's the case, then maybe an independent contractor. Uh, the second point is that the work involves tasks that are outside of the company's normal business. So um, out of personal experience, there's a company that distributes sporting goods worldwide, okay? And they have an IT department. That IT department is not 
in that wheelhouse of that company. Uh, that's not what they do. They're not providing IT services, but they contract out to a company that provides uh, IT resources uh, on staff. I'm not really on staff, but on staff of that IT company to execute and do things that are needed on a project-by-project basis to make their systems work well so they can distribute globally. Okay, well, that's uh, outside of the company control, and it's not in the company's main line of work. And then the other element is that the worker uh, runs an independent business outside of what they're doing. Okay, so in other words, they've got the ability to attract other uh, other clients uh, to do whatever work they choose to do, but usually it's going to be along those same lines. So in the IT case, they may be doing uh, IT work for several companies, and they're doing this one thing that's not in the wheelhouse of all those other companies. They're doing that. They pass that ABC test. They're probably an independent contractor. So next, let's talk about the risk of misclassifying. And obviously, uh, we're talking about intentional misclassification here, but even unintentional, it could cost you a lot of money. That's why it's good to get it right. Um, the first, most obvious, I led off with this at the very, at the very beginning, it's tax penalties. If you're found to be uh, trying to avoid paying payroll taxes by making somebody a uh, contractor or an independent contractor or non-employee compensation is how they refer to it on the form, uh, guess what? You're going to get subjected to back payroll taxes. Uh, they could even go for you with backup withholding, 35%. I mean, it's, it's a really big, hairy deal. You don't want to be caught doing this wrong because the penalties are very substantial. And the interest on those penalties, depending on how far back they go, I mean, just blow your mind. Uh, there's a case, uh, cable operator, I don't remember the name of them, but I think it was 2019, they owed $20 million of, not benefits, but in penalties, just tax penalties alone for employees that they misclassified as independent contractors. They had avoided giving them benefits, overtime, all the things, okay? And so it's a big deal. Get this right. You don't want to be like the cable company, right? There's obvious labor law violations. And again, those vary not just federally, but state by state, location by location. You don't want to get in trouble with those. Get the black eye. They're going to be on you all the time. They're going to come look under the hood all the time. And I mentioned a second ago in that other case, the benefits and overtime piece. If you're found to be um, if you're found to be in control of this worker and deemed that they're an employee rather than an independent contractor, you're going to owe back pay and back benefits, back overtime, all that kind of stuff. So you definitely don't want to be wrong there. So with all that, and hopefully I've scared you to death, not really, hopefully I've given you some information. Let's talk about some best practices for compliance. Number one, as you can tell, review the rules and especially review the rules for whatever state or location you're in to make sure that you're going by their rules because their rules are going to override what you got on a federal level, okay? Um, for any questionable roles, I personally recommend you look at an employment attorney, let them look at the role, make sure that it's all good. You can also go so far as to uh, ask the IRS to make a determination on an employee, may take a while to get a response, and in the meantime, you're racking up uh, expenses and interests and penalties and all those kinds of things, but they will provide a determination based on the information that they're provided. And, and uh, the blog post that's going to go along with this 
will uh, show you how to do that. Um, I would also highly recommend that you thoroughly document whatever it is, whatever role that person is going to play uh, in either an employment agreement or a front contract. You know, we'd like to call these folks independent contractors, but a lot of times there's no contract. And when there's no contract, the very first thing that they're going to lean to is this looks like an employee. So I get a really good idea of what services that they're providing, what the expectations are, how much of that control is present, how much of it isn't. And that will uh, be one of the nails one way or the other uh, into the board that uh, supports your decision to either have them as an employee or have them as an independent contractor. I would also recommend auditing your worker classification, your current worker classifications, and make sure that, you know, roles change. I mean, my gosh, so much has changed in just the past few years. As the roles change, make sure that it fits how you're classifying. Maybe somebody that you treated as a contractor all along has now really become more of an employee. Fix it. There's nothing wrong with just going ahead and fixing that right now. You also need to educate managers, especially hiring managers, to make sure that they're aware of what it is that they're seeking. Uh, but it's not always just hiring managers. This isn't HR because an HR is going to automatically assume that this is a employee relationship. Perhaps you have somebody else that wants to hire some outside work to get a project done. Make sure that they understand what they can and can't sign up for, what they can can and can't present to a uh, potential candidate for work uh, in order to maintain that contractor status. You don't want to get anybody in that kind of trouble because that's the first point that they'll go to and say, well, what was promised up front? Um, and then I would highly recommend also implementing some very clear company protocols around the subject uh, and requirements, uh, company-wide requirements for uh, engaging contractors to do uh, that type of work because if, if it doesn't match that, they're employees and you just want to stay on the safe side to do that. You know, there's a lot more written about this on the blog post that we're going to have with it. Uh, whether you're watching this or listening to this, we will have the link to the blog post uh, in the comments, so please uh, you know, feel free to click over there for a little bit more detail. I mentioned at the outset, very deep subject, whole lots of twists and turns. Uh, no way a blog post is going to cover everything because you might as well just go to the state website to make sure you're <laughs> adhering to their rules. Uh, however, if you ever have any questions about it, you can always reach out to us. Uh, if you've got a question about this, or any of the episodes, or anything outside of anything we've covered yet on the episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, at timthompsoncpa.com. That's T-I-M-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N-C-P-A.com. Uh, obviously, we thank you for listening, watching, whatever it is that you're doing. You know, if you're listening to this, this is also on YouTube. If you're watching this, it's also on a podcast. We try to do these once a week. Uh, we're on this mission to answer the 50, uh, uh, 50 most asked questions. I was trying to think what we were calling it, <laughs> the 50 FAQs. Really, we're breaking it down about half in the uh, individual side and half in the business side. This one kind of straddles the fence because it applies to everybody. Some of you folks out there uh, are independent contractors and wonder if you're W-2 employees. Others of you want to know what it's like to be an independent contractor, and here we try to address both. Um, but we'd appreciate you to do the like, the subscribe, the comments. Uh, if you have a topic that you'd like for us to cover, please feel free to reach out, put it in the comments section, or reach out on that email address I mentioned earlier, uh, and we will monitor that and add that to an episode as soon as we can. 
thank you so much. You know, if this doesn't apply to you, but it applies to somebody you think, uh, or it applies to somebody you think might want to hear it, please share this with them. And uh, we look forward to covering your next question soon. That's all for now. Bye-bye.